Well, I'm Jim Del Campo, and we're in this series called Identity, and um, we've been looking at what our identity is once we come to faith in Jesus Christ. Now, we saw in the play where Jesus comes uh, that first Christmas, and uh, he, he is born, but he grows up, and his mission, his main mission was to save mankind from their sins. He knew he had a date with destiny on a cross. And that he would shed his blood because I, like every human on the planet, am a sinner. And my sins will keep me away from God. They'll keep me from an eternity in Jesus Christ and send me to the wrong place. And eternity's forever. There's no end to it. And so I thank God that I came to know Christ. Now, once salvation happens, there's so much more in there. And we've been looking at all these things as we go through this New Testament letter called Ephesians. And today we're going to look at this idea of I am part of a new family. Now, I grew up with certain TV shows back when I was in junior high and high school. And one of my TV shows I grew up with was The Brady Bunch. Anyone remember The Brady Bunch? Raise your hand if you remember The Brady Bunch. Okay, so we got, we got a good Brady Bunch contingency here in this service. Now, I like The Brady Bunch. You can remember the song, Here's a Story of a Man Named... So you guys over here know this song, okay. So, and he comes with his three sons, and she comes with her three daughters. And you ever notice in these TV sitcoms, it's an, it's an amazing thing that um, in, in one half hour, they have a problem in the family that needs to be resolved, and in one half hour, they've resolved the problem. Don't you wish life was like that in your family? Then in just one half hour, everything gets fixed. Don't you wish it was like that just in this world, that things get fixed in one half hour? I think it's a great thing, but life isn't like that. There is so much division. It can be in families or even in this world. And as followers of Christ, we're called to walk in peace and walk in unity. It's one of our job descriptions. Now, one day Jesus, he was asked questions. And he's sitting on this temple mount. And as the disciples were asking him questions about things, he makes some statements about what it would look like in the end times of planet Earth. He said, I'll give you two of them. One of them he said was that kingdom would rise against kingdom. And what he meant was that one country would be against another country. And we see a lot of that. He also said that nation would rise against nation. And what he meant by that was that within a nation, there would be division, unrest, civil unrest, and we see a lot of that in countries including our own now. But one of the things he adds in there is that, because some of you are going to think, well, we've always seen these things. Yeah, you're right. But Jesus said they're like the birth pangs of a woman in labor. And those birth pangs, if you've ever delivered a baby, you know the closer you got, the more intense it got, and the closer those contractions came. Any amens on that one? I hear the pain in this section. Okay, good. And so that's what he described it as right there. Now, in the middle of all that, Jesus, he's the one who labeled it, but he plants, 2,000 years ago, he plants the first church in Jerusalem. Now, he gave it the name church. Church does not mean a building or mortar or bricks or car. This is, this is a building. What he meant by church when he labeled it church, because he's the first one, he meant it to be the ecclesia. It's the idea of a bunch of little stones that come together to form a giant slab all moving in the same direction. 
That's why it's smart and biblically to be part of a local congregation where you're moving in unison with that congregation. That's what he meant by the church. But in that, he starts this brand new family in the middle of all this potential problematic division in this world. But he says, look, I'm going to try to bring everyone, every person into this new family so we can have peace in our lives. That was a great plan. Now, hold that thought and let's go into our weekly thing in a series. Here's our verse that we read out loud every week in a series. This is our verse for this series. I'm going to count to three. I'm going to ask you all to read it out loud. Here we go. One, two, three, four. Are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we walk in them now. The word workmanship, every week I tell you this in this verse, it's the idea of a poem that God, as we commit our lives and follow Jesus and submit ourselves to the values and truths of the Bible, now he begins to rewrite the lines or the chapters of our life. And every week I want to remind you, including my own life, that we've all written some pretty bad lines and chapters of our life on our own. Any amens on that? So Jesus comes along and says, hey, if you just give me your life, start following my values and truths, I can rewrite your life in a really good way. And that's what this book is about. Now, our tagline is this, you were, but you are. Would you say that with me? You were, but, let's try it all together. You were, but you are. Now, meaning you were this, but once you came to Christ, put your faith in him, you are now this. And that's what we've been looking at every week in this series. So here's what we're going to do today. Open your Bibles to Ephesians 2 or your app or whatever you have. We're going to look at the first three verses in chapter 2, 11, 12, 13, comment a bit, then go into three points. The first two are quick points. The third one's where I really want to camp and bring the, the biggest uh, point across, in my opinion, in this particular message. So, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 11, 12, and 13 is where we're going to begin. It says this, Therefore remember that formerly you, the Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision by the so-called circumcision, which is performed in the flesh by human hands, Remember that you were at that time separate from Christ, excluded from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now, here's that but now, that God moment. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were formerly far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. The blood of Christ Jesus was the catalyst to bring people near to God. Let me tell you in a nutshell what Paul the writer is telling us right there. There's this massive racial division that's going on back 2,000 years ago. See, we think that all this racial division started in our life. Oh no, it's been going on forever. 2,000 years ago, it was Jew and Gentile. And a Gentile is, I'm a Gentile. Anyone that's not Jewish is a Gentile. And so the Jews didn't really like, Gen, they didn't like Gentiles. In fact, their idea of it, to just quickly state this, is that if a, Jew, if a Gentile put their hand, say, on this table, and a Jew put their hand on that table after them, the Jew would consider himself unclean because he has touched something that a Gentile has touched. And he was ceremonial unclean. 
And the Jews, their idea of Gentiles, what they were best for, suited for, was, this is their statement, was that Gentiles were only good for kindling to keep the fires of hell burning hot. Now, if you think about that, that's a big division right there, is it not? So here comes Jesus, and he starts this new family to try to bring everyone back together. And I'm going to give you three things on that right now. The first thing is this. In your notes, if you're taking notes, I hope you do and go over it later again. Number one, Jesus unifies people groups. Jesus brings people groups back together again. Watch 14, 15, 16 says this. For he himself is our peace. A lot of people looking for peace, huh? who made both groups into one and broke down the barrier of the dividing wall. Let me tell you what the dividing wall is. On the temple proper, on the mount where the temple was, where this is where the God holy place and everything was, that was the most racist place on the planet at that time. On God's temple mount. Because at that temple they would have a court just for the Jewish men, only Jewish men go there. Another area, just for the women, only women could go there. But they had another area just for Gentiles, people like me, and you had to stay there. And when Paul alludes to a dividing wall, what it was was, for a Gentile, if I'm on that Temple Mount, there was a sign and a a wall that said, you do not pass this wall, because if you do, Gentile, you will die. We will kill you. And so the Temple Mount was the most segregated area on the planet, and yet it's God's holy place. Crazy, huh? And so Paul now alludes to that dividing wall. Now uh, back into verse 15. By abolishing in his flesh the enmity, which is, which is the law of commandments contained in ordinances, so that in himself, in Jesus, He might make the two into one new man, thus establishing peace. Now, I'm going to hit verse 15 later on to bring out a few things as I close in this message later. And might reconcile them both in one body to God through the cross by it having put to death the enmity or the division. We'll go on that in in a little bit more. Now, it says here that he reconciled the two groups. Reconcile means to bring back into harmony two groups that were separated, but bring them back to one. Now, what I like is this. I like the term that Paul uses. He says that Jesus, in his life, made the two groups into one. I like that. Because if you think about what Jesus said when they asked him about marriage, Jesus, going back in time to the Hebrew Scriptures, the Hebrew Bible, which is the Old Testament, to Genesis, he says, and he quotes it, and he affirms it, he says that marriage is between a husband and a wife, and the two become one flesh. And so he takes the same idea of two become one, and he says that he's trying to bring all people, all these groups together into one in this new family. Now let's take marriage. How many of you in this room right now, you're married, just raise your hand, I just want to know, I'm just curious, raise your hand. Don't be afraid, it's okay to be married, okay? Okay. Now, I'm assuming now that you're like me and I'm like you, that if your marriage is going to make it and last, that you've learned some things along the way, such as you have learned that you must agree to disagree. Am I right? You've also probably learned that you do not major on minor issues between you, but you only major on the major issues. Am I right? Let me explain it to you how it works at my house. I'm a husband, okay? 
How many husbands here? You're going to relate to this, trust me. Let's say my wife decides, you know, I'd like to uh, repaint the inside of the house. Okay, babe. Or maybe one year she says, I'd like to buy some new furniture for the uh, living room. Oh, okay, babe. Or maybe three years later she goes, you know, I want to replace the flooring in the TV room. Oh, okay, babe. So let's say we go look at paint. And she takes me with her. And she picks out the paint color. She says, I really like that one. Now, as a husband, even though in my mind I'm going, that's the ugliest color I've ever seen in my life. (laughs) But with my mouth, I say, that's magnificent. I could really see myself in a room with that color. How many men would say amen to that, right? (laughs) Now, let me just, also, if your wife took you, she's getting a new new couch. You go, honey, this is the couch I like. And you look at it, and she goes, I really like it. And you're thinking, that's a stupid couch. I can't even fit on that couch. Now, you don't say it with your mouth. Any amens on that, right? But in, in your mind, you said that. But, but in your mouth, you say, that's a fantastic couch, honey. I really like it. Now, why would I, as a husband, make those statements? Because I like eating dinner, okay? <laughs> Am I right? Any husband say amen to that one? Yeah, because here's what, I, here's what I'm trying to tell you. You don't major on minor issues. Why am I going to fight over that? Why am I going to get all bent out of shape? That's a minor issue. I only debate my wife over the major issues and as two followers of Christ, two becoming one, the major issues are resolved by looking in the word of God. Any amen? Amen. So there's a common denominator between the two two of us that brings it two into one. Now, the common denominator for all of us believers in Christ that comes in a new family is Jesus and he is love. Therefore, the common denominator is love. Therefore, as we come together, we can work out our differences because we love each other because Jesus loves us first. Any amens on that? So he unifies these groups. Now, let's take it to point two, and that's this. We are to love and bring all people into the family of God. That's what we're supposed to do as a follower of Christ. Now, look at verse 19 of Ephesians 2. It says this. So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are, uh, notice he said you are, remember? We said in the tagline, you were, but you are. Remember that? In chapter 2, verse 20, he says, you were dead in your sins. Now, in verse 19, he says, but you are, so you were, but you are. Transition. But you are fellow citizens. We're all fellow citizens with the saints. We're all part of this family of God if we placed our faith in Christ. And we are God's household. So once I place my faith in Jesus, now I come into this new place, and I am to love all people into this new family of God. Now, let me show you something, because... You know, as we've taught throughout the years, you you see that the first followers of Christ, the big guns like Peter and the gang, took them 20 years before they could look at a Gentile and say, God loves them and God wants to save them. They still didn't believe it even after Jesus came, died, rose from the dead. It was rough. There was still this racial division and the segregation there. But watch what God said a long time ago, way before the time. Watch this. Three sections of verses. Watch. This is Jesus and he says this. Go therefore and make disciples of, I start again. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations. How many is all nations? It's everyone. It includes Jew, Gentile, everyone. Read next verses, please. Now, these next verses, this is an older man, Simeon. He he was given the, the thoughts in his heart by the Holy Spirit that he would see the Messiah before he died. He's at the temple. They bring the baby Jesus in. He sees him and he instantly knows that's the Messiah. 
He takes the baby Jesus in his hands and here's his prophetic statement. He says this, for my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the presence of all peoples. Now watch this. A light of revelation to the, say it louder, to the, to the Gentiles. How'd they miss that one, huh? That Jesus would reach out to all people, even to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. Now, go back even further to Genesis, the very first book of the Hebrew Scriptures, Old Testament, Genesis. This is Abraham God is speaking to. He's the first Hebrew. He's the father of the Jewish nation. Watch what he tells this man who's a Jew, first Jewish man. He says, I will make you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great and so you shall be a blessing and I will bless those who bless you and the one who curses you, I will curse and in you, say the word, all the families of the, of the earth will be blessed. All these verses were designed to reach everyone. As a follower of Christ, we're to, we're to reach everyone, not just the people that look like us or act like us or that we like. We're to reach everyone. Now let me give you a side note. There might be someone in this room that you're, you were the way I was. You're not, maybe you're not a follower of Christ. And you might have, see, I had a sister that when she became a Christian, I was not a Christian. All she wanted to do was tell me about Jesus. And all I wanted to do was shut up, <laughs> being honest. See, some of you have that person at your house or at your work. All they want to do is tell you about Jesus. Anybody know that person? And you're thinking, you're like, would you just shut up? Would you just stop now? Let me tell you something about that person. Because I used to think they need to shut up. But once I became a follower of Christ and started reading the scriptures, you know what? They're not allowed to shut up. They're called to share the gospel and share the gospel and share the gospel. They're called to do that. And you're asking them to do something that they just cannot do. They're obedient to Christ by sharing these things. Now, we're to share the love of God to everybody. Now, let's get to where the third point, that's where I wanted to get to. Number three, we are to honor everyone. It doesn't matter if you or I think they deserve it or not. Because we've talked about grace in this series and grace is that I favor you even though you don't deserve it. And if that's what God does for us and I'm a follower of Christ, then I am to honor and grace people even when I think they don't deserve it. It's not my call whether they deserve it or not. It's just grace. Follow me on that one? Okay, now watch verse 19 again. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and are of God, say the word, household. I like that word there. You know why? Because we all grew up in a household. We learned a lot of good things in that household. A lot of real good stuff, a lot of good memories. We learned some good behavioral patterns. But there are some things that we learned wrong in any household. Yours, mine, we all, nobody's perfect in a household. And the thing is, when we come to become a follower of Christ, we join a new household, the family of God. And some of those things we learn might line up with the Bible. Some of those things don't line up with the Bible. And so we're bringing these things in there that do not line up with the Bible, and we're trying to make it work, and it just doesn't work. And so here comes Jesus, and he's dies for us, raised from the dead, gives us his word so we can follow the pattern that he's laid out for us. And we're to honor everyone. One of his patterns, honor everyone. Okay, now watch this. Acts 17, 26. Because I want to widen it out now. 
It's a great verse. It says, and he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined their appointed times and the boundaries of their habitation. That verse is loaded, but I can only cover the first little part of it. He says that everyone has come from one man, the man Adam, and his wife's name was Eve. Everyone on the planet has come from one set of parents, Adam and Eve. That, that, that's what he's telling. Culture says, sort people into, oh, you're like me, therefore I get close to you. Not like me, stay away. You're like me, come close. Not like me, stay away. That's what culture does. And we buy into the culture. But we've all come from one set of parents. I, I love the movie Forrest Gump. Have you ever seen Forrest Gump? Yes. I've seen it like 50 times. I'm not kidding. I love that movie. You know, I'm Forrest, Forrest Gump. You know. And, uh, you know, life is like a box of chocolates. And he has that one friend. Remember Bubba? And, and remember Bubba? You know, you shrimp, you can saute it. You can bake it. You can barbecue it. He goes this whole, remember that? And then he says, that's about all you can do with shrimp. And, and, and Bubba and Forrest, they, they're shipped off to Vietnam. And that's where they meet Lieutenant Dan. Remember Lieutenant Dan? Lieutenant Dan! And as they're there talking to him for the first time, now, now Bubba, in case you've never seen him, Bubba's black, Forrest is white. Lieutenant Dan looks at both of them and he says, are you two related? And they look at each other and they're not sure. Because, you know, they met at boot camp. And then they go, and Forrest says, no, sir, we are not related. But that's not entirely true, is it? They are related. They all come from the same set of parents. Let me blow your mind here for a second. How many of you are married? Raise your hand. Raise your hand if you're married. You married a relative Now, they're a distant relative, but they are a relative, right? You married a relative. It's, it's what you did. Never forget. You're from one set of parents. Did you know that um, you and every human, me, all of us included, every human on the planet, we are all 99.5% identical, and the only difference is, like the, for the most part, is the amount of melanin in our skin that gives us the lighter or darker hue of our skin. Did you know that? No, did you know that? Now, okay, watch this. Genesis chapter 5. This is in the Bible, by the way. This is Noah. Noah He's got three sons. These three sons come off the ark with their wives and they repopulate the entire planet Earth because everybody's wiped out and there's a lot of reasons for that. It says Noah was 500 years old and Noah became the father of Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Now watch. Ham, one of his sons, his name means dark. Japheth, another one of his sons, his name means fair or light. Shem, the third son or the other son, his name means name. Can you imagine, what do we call him? I don't know, light, dark, it's called name, you know. How do you get name? But here's the thing about Shem. 
You've probably heard the term anti-Semite, anti-Shemite. That's the Jewish people are going to come from Shem. Jewish people are similar to me. We're medium browns. You see? So he's got a light, a dark, and a medium brown. You can't get white from black. You can't get black from white. You need medium brown. (laughs) To get them all, okay? Just thought I'd throw that in. I really like that. Let me destroy a cultural lie, a social creation right now. Let me destroy it. Because it is so propagated, sometimes I'm like, just stop out there thinking like this, because it's not biblical. Now, I read this book by Miles McPherson. He's an African-American pastor in San Diego. In his book, um, The Third Option, I think it's called. And here's what he, he makes a great point. He says this. This whole thing like uh, people of color, he says that's not true. But when you use the term people of color, then you're excluding Anglo-Saxon, you're excluding white people. Because you're saying they don't have any color. Let me tell you about white people. They're not this color, okay? (laughs) Have you ever noticed, anybody ever noticed that? They're, as he put it, they're kind of peachy colored. Am I right? So they have color. But when we say people of color, we exclude and we start making a whole other people group like that's another race, but it's not true because we've all come from one set of parents. Any amens again on that one? Now, so society, culture, it's a social creation that we're all separate. No, we're not. We're, we're all part of the same family. Here, here, now, here's, here's my challenge. If you don't believe me, then here's what you do. You go home, you get online, and you take, send for that ancestry DNA test, go home and take it. Send your DNA in and see what you get back. There's not a one of you in this room or on the planet that's 100% what you think you are. Not a one. You are like me and I'm like, we are all mutts. Am I correct? And he say, say amen. Come on, guys. That's what we all, we're all that. There's nobody that's 100%. You say, well, I'm this. No, you're not. You're not 100%. You have so much in your background. It's incredible. Let me tell you what. I'm Mexican. Could you guys tell? (laughs) Now, here's how it all works for me. Now, my father, his ancestors came from Spain. They settled in Mexico in a place called Los Altos Jalisco. I like saying it that way. My mother, her ancestors came more than likely across the Aleutian Straits when it was frozen down into the America here and Native American. They kept going down to the area we now know as Mexico and she's a Yaqui Indian, part of her is Yaqui Indian. And so these Indians in the Mexico area, they waited for the Cortez and all the guys came, you know, to Mexico and the Spaniards intermingled with the, the natives there and what they have is a Mexican. So I'm what you call a combo meal, okay? I'm a combo meal. I'm, I'm all these parts right there. My daughter-in-law, my daughter, my daughter took the DNA test. She's telling me all these things in. I'm going, where in the world did you get all that stuff in you? Well, we all are mixed up, mixed up like that. Am I right? See, we all come from one parent. And no one is ethnically pure down one pure line. Uh-uh, I'm sorry, but no. And we're all related, every one of us. And when we start to understand that, that things get better. Now, let me go back to verse 15. Watch this. 
he says he destroyed the, the dividing line between peoples by abolishing it in his flesh. He abolished Jesus' flesh on the cross. He, he abolished it. The enmity. He destroyed the enmity. The word enmity means the hostility, the hatred. There's so much hate in this world. Any amens on that? He destroyed it in his body. When you come into his body and you become a follower of Christ, you are the body of Christ and that's destroyed. It better be destroyed. And I'm talking every which way, which is the law of commandments contained in ordinances so that in himself he might make the two into one new man. The word new, it's the idea of something that's never existed before. So when you come to faith in Christ, now something that's never existed before is being established, a new family, thus establishing peace. And didn't the angels announce to the shepherds that this Messiah is here and he would bring peace on earth? Didn't they say that? And we as followers of Christ put our faith in him. We're to be the peacemakers. We're to be the one new family of God. This is what it's all about, this aspect of our faith. And it's a big piece. Now let me share with you this. In June, I got to lead another tour from here. Uh, to Israel. And I, I love going to Israel. I've been there four times. I've been thoroughly blessed for the opportunities to go. I'm going to go again in three more years. But in Israel, one of the destinations typically is called the Church of the Nativity. And it's that area where, you know, they, they believe that Jesus is born on that spot. And it's debatable. It's debatable. It's just we know that area there's He's born in the area, but we don't know if that spot. That church survived a long time. It's one of the oldest, if not the oldest, there is. This building, this church. In 614 AD, the Persians, the Persians came there and they were conquering and they were destroying churches and tearing them down and burning them up, everything. They came to that one and they didn't destroy it. And the reason in behind that is because supposed, there was a mural, uh, some kind of mosaic mural in there. And there was a picture of the Magi bringing their gifts to Jesus, the baby Jesus. The Magi are Persians. And so they were mosaically dressed in their Persian garb and their clothing. When the Persians came to conquer, they saw that. And instead of destroying that church because it had those Persian Magi there, they said, nope. This one, we leave alone. This one survives. No hostility here towards this place. Now think about it. Because of an image on a wall, there's no more hatred and hostility? And they don't tear it down? Huh, an image. Have you and I forgotten that every human on this planet is created in the image and likeness of God? Everyone. Even if they don't look like you, everyone has the image stamped on them. Everyone. And we're to honor everyone. And because they're in the image, you got to lose the hatred. you got to stop the division. You're called to a new family, follower of Christ, to bring peace wherever you go. Not to get, be outraged over somebody. No, bring peace. You can agree to disagree, but bring peace. 
You're to look at everyone as created in the image of God. Because when you jump into this new family, that's what Jesus requires of every one of us. Amen. I'm done. Stand up with me.